0: We interrupt our program to bring you this important message.
1: Well, good morning. Today is Tuesday, the 21st of March. And before I introduce myself, I just want to proclaim World Down Syndrome Day which it's interesting to me to hear that because of what I know about Down syndrome. I think, of course, every day should be Down syndrome day, but to have it be acknowledged is strange in a world that wants to abort Down syndrome children. In the United States, 67% of Down syndrome children are aborted. Some countries are very proud of the fact that they're almost at 100% elimination. And, you know, Down syndrome children are not a... Uh, a burden to society. They're a blessing to society because they have something more special than any of us have who are quote normal end quote, which is they have the love gene and they have it unconditionally. So my name is Scott Shera. I'm Grace's dad. One of the reasons God allowed Grace's premature death was to save others and to wake others up. I was not awake before her death and have become a full-time advocate as a result. This program is called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad because the single most shocking thing I learned about myself was how programmed that I was and still am. It will take the rest of my life to be deprogrammed. I'm a Christian and I see things through that lens. Uh, My guest today is Leslie Manukian. Don, you can bring Leslie in. Hi, Leslie. Good to see you.
0: Great to see you too, Scott. It always makes me so sad, though, to hear that story. But I'm so grateful to be working with you to wake many others up.
1: Well, well, thank you. I mean, you've you've been awake for a long time. And as we dive into what we want to talk about today, which is the the bulk of it is going to be about the administrative state. Um, um, uh, people will be shocked at your level of knowledge and involvement. Cause I, I know I was when I first, when I first met you, um, Leslie is the president and founder of health freedom, defense fund, a nonprofit, which seeks to rectify health injustice through education, advocacy, and legal challenges to unjust mandates, laws, and policies that undermine our health freedoms and human rights. So before we get started. Uh, many listeners have let me know that the favorite part of the show is me sharing stories about grace. So uh, one of my favorite memories of grace are dad jokes. So, you know, the some moms don't even know dads do this. You know, the first one is, you know, pull my finger. And, you know, obviously, you know what that means if you're a dad. And, you know, then um, grace bought me this uh, this dad joke book. And I'm going to read a couple of, of jokes from that book, just to give you a sense. But what's interesting is that literally last week, and Don, I just want you to bring the screenshot up from Fox News. This is funny stuff. So you see right on the screen, dad jokes help kids develop into healthy adults. I mean, of course, everybody knows that, other than the moms. So here's a couple of dad jokes for you, just to to give you a sense. Um, so, Grandpa, Sonny boy, today was the first day is the first day of your life. Grandson. Well, then what was yesterday? All right, second one. Question What did the father buffalo say to his son when he left for school? Answer Bye, son. So, I know people probably don't think that's that's funny, but I, I can't get enough of that stuff. So Grace, you know, I I really thought that Grace was going to be a stand-up comic, and I would just be kind of her helper on stage. So she did get an opportunity before she died to do a stand-up routine solo. And so, Don, I'm going to have you play this before we move on to the series. So go ahead.
2: Hello, everybody. <laughs> A lot of people here
0: One, <laughs> <laughs> <Want> two. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just funny things for her. Back to my work. <laughs> my name is Grace Emily Shara. I'm 17 years old. If I don't know that, I got Chewbacca here. <laughs> He's a Star Wars fair. I'm in the Star Wars. My brother in the... He's a Star Wars nut. <laughs> I tell a lot of jokes. So... I love Elvis Krasny, my safe, safe boyfriend. <laughs> 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 He's up in the by Jesus Christ. <laughs> First off, my big sister, Jessica, is married to her husband, Adam Vanderheiten. We have two nephews, Caleb and Riley, and their ages are eight and six. I'm an Elvis fan. (laughs) The last joke I made up in the deer stand with my earthly dad is watching me. I said to him, I have a joke for you. He said, go ahead. I said, where do bees go to the bathroom? The BP station. <laughs> Woo!
1: It's fun to, it's fun to watch that, but it's sad at the same time. So, um, before Leslie and I get started, there's something else that just happened on Saturday, my wife and I got a flyer in the mail. There's a huge election next week. Um, not next week, I'm sorry. Tuesday, the 4th of April, uh, for Supreme court in Wisconsin. And right now the court is four, three conservative And this election obviously has the potential to flip that and the the flyer that we received in the mail was for the opponent for dan kelly and i just want to show show this um this flyer so you'll see that it says extremist dan kelly could be the deciding vote that brings the hammer down on our rights so you know people don't understand this and they're you know obviously this is a major uh piece of of mail that went out this was not cheap And, you know, people don't realize when they say something like he's the hammer to take down their rights. And what this this uh, flyer is about is abortion. So the people who put this together and his opponent thinks that abortion is a right. And, you know, the reality is where do all rights come from? Every single right that we have as a human being comes from God. And so when you think that abortion is a right, what you're doing is saying, God's ways do not apply to society. And we should just be able to do whatever we want with no restrictions. And those roots are absolutely necessary if we're going to walk through this nightmare that we're in and be able to use God's light to expose the evil. So I just tell you a little bit about Leslie's organization, Health Freedom Defense Fund. Um, It asserts that no person business, institution, organization, or government has the right to force a person to put something into their body against their will. If any of those entities have or claim that power, we are not free and we do not live in a decent, moral, or just society. As has been agreed by all free nations for decades, the practice of ethical medicine requires prior, voluntary, and informed consent, period. And as those of you know who have been following Grace's story, lack of informed consent was a huge factor in why Grace is not here. So, uh, Leslie, uh, you can bring Leslie in, Don. Leslie Leslie is a big deal, folks. Uh, She gave up a successful career on Wall Street to start a nonprofit. You know, you can't make that up. So that's my first question. Why would you do something so crazy, Leslie?
0: You know, I had a, um, a bunch of experiences, but the most important one was that I, um, I met with the CEO of one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world, and it was my job to determine what stocks we bought in our portfolios, um, that were from the European area. And so I would interview, you know, meet with our analysts and the CEOs, the management teams of all of these different multinational corporations. And one of the stocks. One of the company's stock was getting crushed, and we invested in it because we thought that it was going to have this huge blockbuster drug coming out, and um, rumors started trickling out that the drug that was in its phase three trials was killing some people on the clinical trials. And so the CEO and the whole management team came in to visit with us and to reassure us as investors, because we were some of the biggest investors, that um, that everything was on course. And so the CEO sat down, and he looked me in the eye, And there was the chief financial officer, the head of R&D, the head of investor relations, all these other, a whole management team. He sat down with me and my team and our office in New York was on a conference call. And he said, listen, um, you know, in very, very rare instances, the drug has killed a few people, basically. That's what he said. The clinical trial, a few people have died in the clinical trials. And then he said, without missing a beat, the bad news is the FDA is going to make us put a black box warning on the packaging. The good news is we still think we can do $7 billion in peak sales. And I just felt like someone had kicked me in the stomach. I thought this, this can't be real. I mean, they know they're going to kill people with this drug and that's okay. The bad news is the warning and the good news is the money. I just, I I couldn't believe it. It was just one of those, I guess it was a straw that broke the camel's back. And I started to realize that I was playing for the wrong team that I had all these skills and talents and things. And that I was on the wrong side. I didn't want to be playing for that team anymore. And that I've had a front row seat at the corruption that exists in the corporate world and the regulatory world. And it was time for me to change teams. So I quit.
1: Unreal. What year was that?
0: Um, Let's see. It was during the time that I was pregnant. My son was born in September of 20 of 2002. And I, quit in the middle of 2003. So a few months after huh. he was born.
1: Grace was born in September of 2002. What day was it's your son born?
0: The 23rd.
1: Grace was born on the 22nd. <gasps> Isn't that oh my, amazing?
0: That wow. is amazing. Well,
1: wow, that, that gives me chills.
0: Me too. Me awesome. too. But you know what? He was born on the 23rd in London. What time was she born in the U.S.?
1: She was born... Um, Oh, boy. I hope my wife isn't going to watch this because I'm going to (laughs) scream. I'm not, I'm not, you know what, I'm not going to even take a stab because the odds of me being right. The point
0: is they may have been very, very close because it may have still been the 22nd when he was born in the United States.
1: Well, wouldn't that be something? Yeah. So, you know, Health Freedom Defense Fund has been fighting numerous legal battles against nike disney mask mandates vaccine mandates and so i want to start with something familiar before we move into the administrative state which is lawsuits and you know grace's civil case is going to be filed the end of this month so it's near and dear to me but you know i also don't rely i'm not relying on that lawsuit as you know because i'm out you know i'm an advocate you can't be relying on a potentially corrupt court system so um what, how do we actually, Don, would you just bring up, this is a cute picture that was on, that you sent me, Leslie, the, the screenshot of the, so this is, this is one of the lawsuits that you fought. So, you know, so what, what difference can a lawsuit make, Leslie, and aren't they just going to come after us in another way because the cabal operates above the law?
0: Well, uh... First of all, that's our biggest lawsuit. So our lawsuit struck down the nationwide travel mask mandate that the Biden administration implemented um, within one week of Biden being inaugurated. So he literally, his first full day in office, he instructed CDC to issue a mask mandate for all travel conveyances, which is buses, trains, planes, everything um, that are public, that cross state lines, that take money from the federal government. Now, um, here's the thing it's easy to feel helpless and it's easy to think that, oh, you know, all the courts are corrupt, everybody's corrupt, there's nothing we can do. And, you know, there's a shred of truth in that. But there's also truth in this statement. And that is that millions of people are awakening to the fact that our systems are corrupt, they're broken, um, that they're not what we thought they were, and that they need to rise up and they need to actually make a stand. And so that's one of the reasons that we filed the lawsuit. But the other thing is that there are good people in all the courts. There are good people everywhere. There are good um, judges. There are good uh, um, you know, staffers, who clerks who support the judges. And these people see what's happening as well. They're not all beholden. Many of them are, no doubt, but they are not all beholden. And I think that many of them, especially as they get to the latter stages of their careers, get to a point where they realize that a system that we have not voted for is being foisted upon us and we don't want this, and it's unconstitutional, unlawful, and anti-American, and it's incumbent upon each and every one of us to stand up, and so I think judges are awakening, are waking up as well, and I think that they're much more likely to recognize that, I think everybody, if you look at the original, the first year or year and a half, two years of the crisis, even the judges were kind of supporting the government, and then it all started to shift in late 2021 it all started to shift and judges started saying no 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 wait a second the constitution isn't suspended in the event of an emergency no you still have to follow the rule of law and all these things and so i think that gives me a lot of hope and that's one of the reasons that we filed the other reason we filed that lawsuit is because and this is actually a, a perfect segue although i don't know if you want to get to it yet to the administrative state but basically When the biden administration instructed the cdc to implement this rule and the cdc complied one week later the cdc violated federal law federal law states that there's something called the administrative procedure act and that federal agencies are required to follow the administrative procedure act which requires at least 30 days in some cases 60 days of noticing the public about rules that they want to issue they issue rules not laws and that the public's allowed to comment, and that all those comments be made public, and that they be um, considered in in whether or not to actually finalize that rule, that they justify it. And they didn't. And I thought, well, gosh, they're telling millions and millions of healthy Americans. They are forcing them to wear a medical intervention, basically a mask. So if masks do what they say that they do, then it's a medical intervention. And if they don't do what they say they do, then it's compelled dress. And I thought, this is the tip of the sphere of the spear. If the CDC can force us to do this, to wear a mask, even though they have zero reason to suspect that I'm sick or a threat to another person, then there is no limit to CDC's authority and it must be challenged. And ultimately what will happen is if we allow this to go unchallenged is CDC will be able to do anything it wants to us, forced medication, forced Quarantine for the flu forced whatever and I just thought we have got to start this uh, stop this and so we filed in July of 2021 and we got the ruling in April of 20 um, April 18th of 2022.
1: What's amazing to me is so I think you explained that perfectly what's amazing to me is that you know in the in the old way. We had liberals and conservatives, but everybody knew what the rule box was. And so they weren't op- you know, we had different ways to skin the cap, but you wouldn't operate outside the law. You wouldn't operate above the law, but they consistently do that. And then your recourse is to either not comply or sue, but they've already done the dirty deed. And that's what's so frustrating when, when I see this stuff happening. So now, you know, the DOJ they've appealed this, this case that you won, correct?
0: They have. So first, let me just say to your point, Scott, and I think it's so important that people understand, our system has become upside down. And what I mean by that is that they can promulgate a rule, even that is clearly in violation of the law. And then it's incumbent upon us to actually sue, to raise the money and sue. And lawsuits, let me tell you, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's not a cheap endeavor to sue the federal government. I know I've done it three times now. (laughs) But the point is that That shouldn't be the situation. It should be that some independent bipartisan review panel you know, literally reviews every single rule that they want to try and push on the public and determine before it's ever pushed whether or not it's constitutional and lawful. It shouldn't be, the onus should not be on me as an individual citizen to challenge the federal government because that, that is completely um, in conflict with the, the way that our system was set up by our founders so that's one thing um and then i forgot what your what the other gist of your your question was well, i
1: wanted to know what's the basis of the department of justice's appeal because it makes yeah. no sense i mean this is a slam dunk but now <laughs> then they appeal it so yeah. what is the what is their threat of <laughs> standing relative to the appeal
0: well it's really interesting because. It is a slam dunk, and one of the appellate court judges actually said that, this is a slam dunk. Isn't that what we have here? That's what Judge Brasher said, because they clearly violated the Administrative Procedure Act. They didn't justify their rule. They didn't notice the public. They didn't take comment. Um, There was no real um, reason to it. They didn't submit a single randomized controlled trial to the Federal Register in support of their rule or anything like this. But DOJ, so interestingly, when the judge issued the rule, on April 18th, they didn't say anything for more than 24 hours. It might've been 36 hours before CDC or DOJ said anything. In fact, DOJ's initial response was, well, well, we'll talk with CDC and see what they wanna do. And if they wanna appeal, then maybe we will. That was literally what they said, which suggests a couple of really important things. Number one, there's no emergency because if there were an emergency, they wanted to appeal right away. Secondly, this rule was about politics. Not public health. And third, they were not on the same page at all about what they were doing. So, what DOJ is arguing now and what they argued after we filed our lawsuit was that their justification for the mandate was sanitation. That's what they said, that the justification was sanitation. And the reason they said that was because the statute, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but the statute specifically says that HHS, CDCs under HHS, is empowered to enact um, fumigation, sanitation, um, sterilization, isolation, quarantining of animals and articles which pose a threat to human health. That's what it says. So post hoc. So after we filed, they're like, oh, we didn't justify it. Now we've got to figure out how we're going to justify it. So they said that masks are a sanitation measure. This is just false on its face. but this is what they said because they had to justify it. And now what they're arguing is that, they say that masks worked in 1918. I don't think they read the Washington Post article that says very specifically that masks failed in 1918, and that for over hundred years, it had been generally acknowledged that masks failed in 1918. Um, But this is what they're trying to say. They're saying that the, the real issue is it's political, right? CDC wants the power and authority to intervene in your life, even if you're healthy, And so they are doing everything they can to defend themselves. And why? Because what they're really trying to do is defend the power of the administrative state. So their basis is basically that we're trying to sanitize something. Um, The judge ruled that masks sanitize nothing. But that's the gist of it. It's crazy.
1: So there's no basis. It really is just to um, make sure the administrative state, the house of cards, does not crumble. So I'm going to transition to that that topic and I want to just start by saying you know as I was thinking about this putting putting the program together I remembered way back so this will date me but I read an article about Ronald Reagan after his first year in office and uh, he was he got interviewed uh, and he was really distraught because he came in as an as i mean he was in politics before but an outsider to washington with the idea of downsizing the government and he was reflecting that in that article and realized he had no power to stop the monster and you know now we're going to we're going to talk about that monster in a a good deal of length. So last month, you had an interview with Christine Dolan. Uh, I have also interviewed with her and I I, I know how um, impressive her resume is. Uh, she, was, she is a major investigative reporter. She's best known for exposing human trafficking in the United States. And Don, I'm just going to have you play a brief clip from that interview uh, to introduce the administrative state. Then we'll do a second one um, after this one. So go
0: ahead, Don your viewers may have heard of, I don't know if you discussed this on your show, but the whole problem that is the administrative state. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you guys have discussed? So the administrative state is essentially all the federal agencies that sit underneath the executive branch and which are not accountable to the electorate. So John
1: Marini who wrote Unmasking the Administrative State also gave uh, a good introduction and then um, you're gonna end up having the floor here. Uh, Leslie. So go ahead and play John Marini's clip, Don. So the administrative state, the bureaucratic state, whatever you want to call it, what distinguishes
0: it in my mind is the authority that moves from political rule to administrative rule, which is rule from, uh, which is
1: a uh, transition from political rule on behalf of the people or political rule in which the people participate in their own self-rule. So my familiarity with the administrative state was through learning about the public health emergency. So the public health emergency was unilaterally Put in place on January 31st of 2020. This is the public health emergency related to COVID. And it was re-upped again on January 11th, 2023, because it has to be re-upped every 90 days. So we have 36 continuous months of a public health emergency, unilaterally decided by the Health and Human Services Secretary. That's absolutely insane. That is the administrative state on steroids. And that that public health emergency set in motion a cascade of events that has killed millions of Americans. It is so sick, but anyway, now I want to have you describe how how did this even how did this transfer of power even happen? Give some background and context to it, yeah. Leslie.
0: Well, it's it's very interesting to me, Scott, that the Public Health Services Act was passed in 1944. Do you remember what was happening in the world in
1: 1944? Sure. I mean, I don't because I wasn't born. Thanks. You're you're kind of you're thinking I'm even older than I am, but sure, <laughs> we were in we were in World War
0: II. We're in the middle of World War II, and Congress passes the Public Health Services Act, which literally empowers all these federal agencies to start infringing on our rights. I find that very peculiar, that it happens in the middle of the war, that that's something that it was necessary or important while you know thousands of people are away and millions of people are focused on something much bigger than us. So that's when they passed it, the, the Public Health Services Act of 1944. And what it did was it authorized CDC and other HHS, other federal health agencies to start protecting public health. And I believe in many ways, although this was um, lawful, it's unconstitutional. And the reason I say that is because the constitution did not set up any facility for them to, for there to be unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats dictating what we can and can't do in our lives. Okay. Um, What our constitution set up was that we would have a class of representatives who Um, you know, led the issuing of or passing of laws in service to the public. It was about representing us in D.C. It wasn't about uh, transferring that power or delegating that power to unelected federal health agencies. And as I mentioned in the clip, what's really important is the Constitution mentions three branches of government. The Congress, which is the legislative branch, the president, which is the executive branch, and the courts, which are the judicial or judiciary. Okay. Those three things are all supposed to balance each other. But what's happened is the administrative branch is this new fourth branch of government. That's not even a branch of government, but it all sits under the president. All of those federal agencies sit under the president. And it's really terribly pernicious because what's happened is the, the administrative state and the Public Health Services Act have really kind of transformed the president into a dictator of sorts, rather than just an executive presiding over the situation that we face in our country. And so it's actually accorded extraordinary powers to the president because the administrative agencies sit under him and then he can just tell them to issue a rule. And as long as they follow the law, then they can issue a rule, but you can't get rid of them. And, and the agencies are all led by politically political appointees so it's actually even more dangerous because these are people who are entering to a political party, not to the American people.
1: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head and in, furthermore, it's not constitutional because we're not supposed to have a consolidation of power at the federal level. The power is supposed to be at the state level. And so what these administrative um, organizations do, they each have budgets, correct?
0: so then they end
1: up they end up controlling the states through their budgets maybe you could could share a little bit about about so this is
0: this is just a perfect example of exactly what you're bringing up so during the swine flu um, it was a debacle it was not a pandemic they declared it a public health emergency or a national emergency but that was on the basis of um, ridiculous numbers, Cheryl Atkinson, who's an investigative reporter, had sought, um, went and sought all the numbers from the CDC, and sh- they wouldn't give them to her for the number of cases and positive tests, and so she went to every single state and got them, and she found out that only a few percent of the people who were ever tested, tested positive, and yet the president months later still said that it was a, an emergency, and the reason that's so important is because under the emergency, then CDC is authorized to give money to the states in order to push vaccines. So that's exactly what they did. CDC gave $7 billion, which sounds like chump change to us today, but they gave $7 billion to the states back in 2009 during the swine flu um, hype uh, to get them to push the vaccines on innocent Americans who did not need it. And so this is just a perfect example of how your taxpayer dollars are being wasted and funneled in service to an agenda rather than truly um, supporting public health. And why do they do this? Well, because they wanna push the shots, why? Because there's a revolving door between the CDC and the pharmaceutical industry and many of the people who work at CDC or serve on their advisory committees like the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, ACIP, have conflicts or come directly from industry. And and the last thing is it's so important, and this is another problem, is there's something called the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986. This act protects, it shields the vaccine makers from any liability for their vaccines. So you've got the situation where a federal agency that's not accountable to the public is spending taxpayer dollars to push the products of private industry when they may just end up leaving that private industry, uh, leaving that CDC and going and working for private industry, which is exactly what happened with CDC director, Julie Gerberding, who presided over all of this. She left and she went and she headed up Merck vaccines globally. So she's making millions and millions of dollars after she pushed these shots and funneled billions of dollars to the states in order to push the shots for which Merck and other pharmaceutical um, companies have no liability. This is literally the insanity of the administrative state right there on display.
1: So they're able to, so you, you brought up a great point that first act that got put in place in 1944, they do this while everybody's focused on something more important. And you know, just most recently, the Health and Human Services Secretary, the day before Thanksgiving in 2022, put in place the, um, the new death panels under Obamacare you know, so they do this stuff while we're asleep. Okay, so then then they have, they're using money as the tool then. So these states, they could say no, but they don't say no, because they can't stand not having that money, right? So now, so they end up exercising complete control because they have an, an unlimited source of money to do
0: that. Yeah. So another great example of this, Scott, is the Department of Transportation. What happened when there was all of the uproar, right, you know, justified uproar about drunk driving. Mothers Against Drunk Driving were speaking out because their children had been um, killed by drunk drivers. And so they started a massive campaign and that was great. I fully support it. Um, I don't think that we should have, you know, people drinking and driving. It's clearly insane Um, and it's dangerous to us all. So I fully support that. But what ended up happening was the Department of Transportation went and said, we are not going to give you federal funds to the states. We're not going to give you federal funds for roads if you don't raise the drinking age to 21. So, I mean, I think that the the proper solution would have been for the states to pass drinking, um, change the drinking ages or implement policies that they thought were appropriate in order to ensure driver safety, rather than the federal government literally blackmailing the states, because that's what's happened. So they're basically using the purse string as a way to bribe the states to do what they want to serve their policy agendas. And that's just not the way it's supposed to be. You know, in 1913, I don't know if if you've ever um, looked at what happened in 1913, but there were three super important pieces of legislation that were passed that facilitated this shift of power from the states to the federal government. And so, you know, we, I mean, listen, Abraham Lincoln really started it, right? There was this fight between state versus federal power. And um, those who support a stronger federal government are very pleased with what's happened over the last 150 years. Those of us who believe in state rights look at 1913 as the Annus Horribilis. And the reason I say that was that, first of all, you had in, um, in 1913, you have the 17th Amendment to the Constitution passed. And what that did, Scott, was take, um, change the way that senators, U.S. senators, are elected, okay, and what their role was. Well, actually, it didn't change how they were elected, just changed what their role was. It used to be, before 1913 and the 17th Amendment, it used to be that senators were selected by state legislatures. And the reason that that was the case was so that U.S. senators would actually represent the individual states' interest in Washington D.C., but what happened was they changed that and made them elected by popular vote. So after that happened, there really was no difference between a senator and a congressperson. They're just now popularly elected, and then they go to Congress. And so this was one of the ways that the um, that Congress actually subverted the intent of our system of government to actually balance the state power versus the federal power. The other thing that's so important to understand is that health powers are part of the police powers, and those are reserved to the states in the Constitution. Anything that's not explicitly granted to the uh, federal government is reserved to the states. And what happens is is that the, the health powers are reserved to the states, which is why CDC is only allowed to make vaccine recommendations. They have a recommended schedule. They cannot force anything. And that's also why the mask mandate was so egregious, because it was clearly a violation of them recommending to the states what they think are appropriate measures with respect to health.
1: So was it in 17 or 13 also that the the uh, federal tax system was put in place? I mean, that was... So a- in- <laughs> that was in 1913,
0: measure. Yeah, in 1913, they passed the 16th Amendment, which said, so the Constitution did not allow taxation of individual Americans by the federal government, that was something that was not allowed. The 16th Amendment legalized taxing Americans, federal taxes on Americans. And they said, oh, you know, it's only going to be for the super rich, don't worry, it's only going to be very small. I think the original cap was maybe 10% or something like that. But that's what happened. And then they passed the 17th Amendment, changing the way that senators were selected, on Christmas Eve, they passed the Federal Reserve Act. So early yeah. in 1913, right, right, right. they passed the 16th Amendment to allow you to be taxed. And that 16th Amendment excluded all the private family foundations. So they basically said, all Americans are going to have to pay taxes, but the but anybody who's super rich can put their money into a private foundation and they can grow their money tax-free. That was the loophole in 1913. And then on Christmas Eve, they passed the Federal um, Reserve Act, which created the Federal Reserve, which is not a bank and it's not federal; it's not even auditable. It is a consort; it's owned by a consortium of giant banks. So that year literally marked a major change, a major shift in the history of this country.
1: Well, what it was was a shift where we were a free people and then we became enslaved. And that has been the progression. So when I look at this, it's been a a consistent march towards enslaving all of us. And so then when I think about why did that happen, and it's, it's, um, it's the law of entropy, you know, any system that is not that you don't stay on top of will degrade to something lower and you know we have as a as a population have become lazy you know we all have a responsibility to be educated so what you're bringing to the table is meant to wake people up because once you know this now your responsibility starts. So most people didn't even, aren't even aware of the administrative state. So now you're aware of this. So now your responsibility starts, which means start digging into this. See what, what we're talking about here. This, this is huge. I mean, we, have, we are literally, uh, we, are, we are literal slaves. We are a whisker away from being monitored 24 seven. and it's, And we become willing participants because of our own laziness. Anyway, that's how I see it. You can comment on that if you would like.
0: I, you know, every time I speak publicly, I say that the reason that we are in dire straits is because of us. We have become, we have allowed this to happen. This has happened on our watch. And now that doesn't mean that we weren't manipulated into becoming apathetic, but there was a major shift of power that took place in 1913 from the states to the federal government. But in 1910, they, um, Rockefeller and Carnegie submitted the Flexner report to Congress, which called for standardization and licensure of anybody practicing any kind of medicine, and that was the justification to actually drive out all the homeopaths. I'm a homeopath; it's the most magical yes. medicine you've ever found in your life. Um, naturopaths, chiropractors, uh, you know, people who did herbs, anybody, midwives and doulas. It's all about these private interests using their purse strings in order to, in their money, basically to buy, to curry favor in the government. And what's happened is they, they own the media as well. So they've been, you know, we think that the media has only been controlled in the last few years. The media has been controlled for decades. Right. Um, you know, it's worse than it's been, but the media has been used for decades and literally for a century. I mean, have you heard about Edward Bernays? Yes. Edward Bernays was Sigmund Freud's nephew, and he was the mastermind of how to propagandize Americans, basically how to manipulate them using the media and other tactics to um, into a desired outcome. And so he literally got all of the um, suffragettes, many of whom were um, um, who were uh, debutantes to march in New York City holding cigarettes. And overnight destigmatized wearing cigarettes and doubled the market opportunity for the um, cigarette manufacturers. This was this was literally about manipulating the pop the public. That's what he did. And
1: I remember reading used- about him when I was reading about propaganda and you know, you know, the stuff is you know, I've only be, been awake for about a year now. So I mean, all of this stuff is so new. Uh, but I remember reading about him and and he wrote a book to that end. Yeah, uh, and, and his his career didn't start in in politics. It started in you know he he was a marketing person, and, and he realized the you know what a tool propaganda was, and he could make people do anything that he wanted through through propaganda.
0: Exactly, he started with the cigarette manufacturers and other companies in marketing, but then he started to realize, wow we could actually really shift public opinion about getting into another world war. And you know, literally, this is weaponizing information against the public. And I 100% agree with you. I mean, you know you're not gonna get any arguments from me that they seek to enslave us um, and that that's what's, uh, what's happening. I think it was James Madison, it was one of our founders, it might've been John Adams, but one of the two of them said that our system of governance only works if we, if we have an educated and a moral population. And if you look back over the last 50 years, I was born in 1964, I'm 59 years old, turned 59 in January. The degradation in morality in this country is jaw dropping. When I was young, women did not bear their cleavage like they do today. We did not wear leggings. The only person who would wear leggings like is done now commonly by all girls and and adult women um, were sex workers. Um, You did not, you know, there was a a much greater degree of um, (laughs) just self-awareness and prudence about how we presented ourselves. We did not, women did not overly sexualize themselves. Um, And now, listen, I think women should be free to do so without the threat of being attacked or sexually harassed. But listen, if you're going to put yourself out in that way, you are going to invite more of that kind of energy into your life. And that's what's happening. We are, Girls didn't used to dress like this. People didn't used to speak the way that we speak. I mean, swearing has become so commonplace today. Um, you know, That's one piece of it. And the, the age at which women, um, kids are engaging in sexual activity has changed dramatically. And what's considered acceptable has changed dramatically. It's just not the same as it was when I was young. Um, that's the moral part of it. And then if you look at the educational system, I mean, listen, our kids are failing. That's not even debatable at this point. The most recent numbers I saw was that more than 50% of fourth to eighth graders cannot read or do arithmetic, read, write, or do arithmetic at grade level across this country. That is just an unmitigated disaster. And we've been throwing billions, if not trillions of dollars at our educational system for decades. Why is there such an unmitigated failure? I would say it's by design. I, you could do many of these things. And so my point is that we don't have a moral society anymore. You have Jennifer Lopez literally entering the the Super Bowl halftime show on a pole and then literally doing a what would be considered lap dancing um, yeah. in the middle of the Super Bowl. And then she's declaring that this is what it means to be a strong, successful 50-year-old woman. How many millions of eight-year-old kids are watching this? Little boys who grow up thinking that's what it means to be a strong woman and little girls who think that that's what it means to be a successful woman. I mean, this is just they've destroyed any fabric of society. Right. And it's happening in education as well. It's happening all across our country. And so we don't have people who are as moral as they should be, in my view who are educated because our educational system doesn't teach them what their rights are. And that's why I founded Health Freedom Defense Fund to start educating people about their rights. That's one of the primary reasons. And so, and then we are apathetic. We are undernourished because we eat garbage food, GMOs and pesticide-laden stuff and processed this and that and industrial oils. It's crazy. I know I'm on a soapbox, but it's so important that people understand that the only way we right this ship is by them standing up going to their school boards, paying attention, writing letters to the editor of their newspapers, running for city council or county commissioner, getting involved, run for state legislature, get involved. That is how we write this ship.
1: Well, that fed right into my, that. that was the question I had for you. What can people do? So, I mean, it is individually, we have to get involved. So we have to, when you see an opportunity, if you don't stand the gap, now you just became part of the problem how how can people help help you and your organization
0: so um, you can find us at healthfreedomdefense.org that's where we are and as i mentioned we are our, our mission essentially is to educate the the public about their rights because due to the failures of our educational system people don't even know what their rights are i don't even know if fifth graders still take civics do they I don't think so. Yeah. My son didn't. <laughs> I don't think you learned about what the rights are or the separation of government or anything like that. And so we're trying to do that. And you can find us at healthfreedomdefense.org and support us there. Um, we've just started a, um, an initiative. You can share our, our um, work on social media and you can get to our social media accounts through our website. You can become a member. It's only $10 to become a member. Um, and by becoming a member, you not only support our mission, you can also share our work, um, you can join our newsletter and help spread the word about what we're doing because not many groups are out there actually trying to empower you to stand up and not only educate you, but stand up in, in lawsuits if necessary. So you know we've filed over a dozen lawsuits in the last two and a half years to support Americans who are defending their rights our litigation work is, is focused exclusively on the United States at this point. You can, So as I mentioned, you can join the, you can become a member, you can join the newsletter, you can donate to healthfreedomdefense.org through our webpage. This work is super important, obviously, um, and it's super expensive. So any support that you can give is greatly appreciated. Um, and, and the biggest thing is just share what we're doing with a friend. I want to say something really clearly, Scott. We do not believe in telling you what to do with your life. If you want to drink big gulps every day, that's your right. If you want to get the COVID shot, that's your right. What I stand for and what Health Freedom stands Health Freedom Defense stands for is freedom. Freedom to choose how you keep yourself well, how you keep yourself, how you treat yourself when you fall ill. That's it we want as clean of a food system as we possibly can. We want transparency about the medical interventions that are available to us whether they are homeopathic or chiropractic or pharmaceutical. We want to be able to make those own to make our own decisions based on genuine transparent information rather than the secrecy that exists today. So that's what we stand for and I hope people will join us in our mission. You
1: really said that succinctly. It's 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 very well put. I mean, people have choices, and you're responsible for the consequences of your choices. And you know, when we talk about the public school system, I've started calling it the public fool system. Uh, my grandkids, thankfully, are now being homeschooled. Just started this year uh, because what I had seen is outside of just the things you were just going through—that they can't read, they can't write, they can't do arithmetic. You know, I see it that they they have trained out critical thinking. Uh, I'm technically the same age as you, even though my hair is a different color. But <laughs> when, we went through, <laughs> when you and I went through the public school system, we were taught logic and how to think. So that's completely gone. You know, so we can think levels deep. So we're not just used to listening to what's on TV and just automatically believing it. But now the programming is literally 24-7. So um,
0: can I say something to that, Scott? I think it's so so important for viewers to know this. So first of all, none of these things would have happened if Americans had stood up and said no at the time. None of this legislation would have would have happened if people had pushed back. We do have the power. We are the many. They are the few. And our voices, if they are there are enough of them, are strong enough to overturn or stop many of these initiatives. That's one thing that's so important. The second thing is you've got to unplug your TV and your mainstream media. That's just it. I'm telling this to the viewers, not to you, Scott. I, think, I know you already know this. But I'm saying this because we grew up believing that – I grew up believing that public television was a good, that it was there to to educate me in an unbiased, independent way. I believed the same about NPR. NPR has censored me and my message and my movie. Your viewers may not know that I made a documentary film called The Greater Good, and you can view it on greatergoodmovie.org, and it unpacks the whole vaccine debate and why there even is a debate. And I urge everybody to go and watch it because... It is more pertinent today than it even was when we um, released it in 2011. I urge you to watch it, Scott. I'll send you a link if you like. That would um, be great. But the reason it's so important is that that these this public television and public radio are censoring us. They take money from private industry, and they are they know who butters their bread. They make tons of money. They take. I mean, tremendous amounts of money from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, for instance, right. from Monsanto and the GMO seed producers. If you don't think that that influences them, I've got you know news for you. So that's one thing. But there's something else. There used to be something called the Smith-Munt Act. The Smith-Munt right. Act was in place for about 70 years um, between I forget when it was passed, but it was repealed. I think it was,
1: a, it, think it was in 1948. Okay. If- yeah, I looked. I looked that up when I was looking up propaganda. So keep keep going though.
0: Okay, so it was repealed in the National Defense Authorization Act of 2012. So the National Defense Authorization Act is a federal. Um, it's a um, an act, federal legislation that's renewed every single year. And the primary reason for it is that it is the funding um, apparatus for the Pentagon. OK, so a lot of stuff gets shoved into that thing every year. And in 2012, President Obama signed the NDAA, which repealed the Smith-Munt Act. The Smith-Munt Act prohibited the CIA from propagandizing Americans. That's right. What does that mean? Propag- to propagandize someone means to deliberately um, feed them Information that you know is false in order to manipulate them into a certain belief or action. So it's something that the United States has done abroad for decades. The CIA is legally allowed to propagandize foreign citizens and it does so through Radio Free America and other um, tools like that. But it was prohibited from doing so in the United States until 2012, 2012. When that happened, there was an uproar and Congress said, oh, don't worry, don't worry. We're repealing this, but we're not going to do anything with it. We're not, we don't have a program yet to propagandize Americans. So rest assured, and there's no funding for it. Even if we did have a program in 2013 and 2016, they set up the program and then they funded it and Obama signed it. And what is the upshot of this? It means that anything that you see in the mainstream media could be deliberately dishonest. Just literally take that on board. Anything you see in the mainstream media could be designed to deceive you and manipulate you into an outcome.
1: And it's legal. I mean, wrap your head around that. I mean, I so it's legal for the government to use propaganda to control its citizens it's, by law. So they they cross the T's, dotted the I's. And a number of these things, you know, we just walked through the administrative state and it's all legal. It's not moral and it's not constitutional. But it's legal. And so then, you know, you're you're in on this this whole thing, which, you know, you've dedicated your life to. And it's it's really quite a a blessing to have somebody that's committed like this. I mean, you've dedicated your life to untangle this stuff. And let's let's get back what we what we had Um, as I'm going to close up, Leslie, and then give you the final word. But, you know, when I hear you speak, I see how programmed I've been and it really frames it well. Uh, Well, beforehand, before Grace died, I didn't have a trust in the government. I would have considered myself a conservative with a healthy distrust for the government. I definitely did not think it was totally and completely corrupt, which is what I believe today. Uh, And you've worked tirelessly to expose the corruption, which is fantastic. You know, once you are awake. This is this is the most important thing I could tell you. If you are awake, you have a responsibility to re- reclaim the life that God gave you, because through time you've lost the freedom that we were designed to have. And the first step, if you're serious about doing God's work, is repentance. Uh, that's what I had to do, and it's 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 real. Then you know God can be behind all of this. Uh, we've been programmed to rely on men to fix things that will never work. We have to. Only rely on the one who is the real prince, not the prince of this world. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And uh, that's, he's the one I want to rely on in the work that I'm doing. So, Leslie, you have the final word. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. You know, Scott, first of all, <laughs> um, we all have to be gentle with ourselves. We were raised to believe that our system of government was the best system on the planet. And I believe the original intention was that way, but it's been deeply bastardized in the last hundred plus years. And I think, you know, we all wake up when we do. I used to be a hardcore leftist. I used to believe that the government couldn't be too big. I used to believe that um, the only problem in the world was that I didn't pay enough money in taxes as a high earner on Wall Street. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> you were lost.
0: Oh my gosh, I was totally lost. I thought, <laughs> of course, government is good. Of course, government is there to protect me. Of course, all these things. It never, I never had any reason to doubt it until I started hearing all these things in my job, interviewing all the CEOs. And I started thinking, huh, that's not right. Huh, how is this happening? And and because I was actually interested in health, I've always been interested in health and nutrition, and always thought it was better to try and, you know, eat well and exercise and do all these things and take care of myself. When I first learned about the vaccine debate, probably in 2000 or 2001, it really piqued my interest and I thought, "This, this can't be true. You know, I'm an analyst geek by nature. I started, I read a book called Vaccines, Are They Really Safe and Effective by Neil Z Miller and it rocked my world. It literally ripped the veil from my eyes. I was like, oh my gosh, if this is true, it means they are willingly sacrificing our most innocent and vulnerable, our children. And there are over 960 footnotes in the back of that book documenting all of the claims. And I read that and I thought, oh my goodness. So my point is, please do not be too hard on yourself, viewer. Please just take the information that we are sharing and know that whenever you wake up, it's the right time. But also know that once you wake up, it's your opportunity to find courage, channel the, ch- the courage that God will put in you. I live in a small community. I am ridiculed and ostracized where I live. The newspaper, our local newspaper has smeared me and censored me. Um, they have uh, insinuated that I'm anti-Semitic, literally. And there are people who have taken that and actually suggested that I'm anti-Semitic which is the most preposterous thing I've ever heard because I've fought against all all types of um, discrimination my entire life. My point is that they will sling all sorts of arrows at you. But you know what? There is freedom in the truth and there is freedom in courage. I am no longer afraid of what people think of me and there is nothing more freeing than that. It's, yeah. it's wonderful to live in this place where I don't really give a darn what people have to say about me because I know I have righteousness in that I know I'm on the side of truth. I'm on the side of freedom. I'm on the side of individual rights, the primacy of the individual and accountability. And there's nothing that they can say or do to, to hurt me. So I really encourage everyone to look within, connect with your moral compass, connect with God and know that what is true and what is right is the path for each and every one of you whenever you come to it.
1: Very well said, Leslie. Boy, what a blessing to have you on today. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Scott. It's been an honor and a blessing to be with you as well. All right. Thank you.